The Free For All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. On the roundtable this morning, Courtney Betty from Betty's Law. Vas Bednar is here, Executive Director of the Master of Public Policy Degree in Digital Society at McMaster University. Jerry Agar from the Jerry Agar Show from 10 until noon. Congratulations on your listenership, and that's all we're legally allowed to say. Well, back at you. Okay. And, and, well, let me attach this to it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. To us. Yeah, thank you to everybody who's listening right now. Okay, so let's have that. (laughs) TDSB looking at banning cell phones in the classroom. Let me start with Vaz, because you preside over a classroom from time to time, I'm sure. Um, I I don't see much of a downside. I know that somebody made an interesting point, Anne-Marie Aikens, that, well, what about an emergency? But, you know, we managed to do it without cell phones for the entirety of all time up until 20 years ago. Yeah, I think it's great. I think all the research shows that this is really important, that distracted learning is really costing our youth and also really challenging teachers and distracting others in the classroom. So I understand these kind of arguments, freedom or trust the child or parents, you know, want to be able to have that lifeline to their child. Um, my high school had a phone booth <laughs> that you, could call. <laughs> you needed. I would call my parents, you know, okay, can you pick me up from basketball tonight? Uh, I'm being a little bit silly, but I think it is time to support people learning with a blanket, very clear policy that just says cell phones don't have a place here. Was it coin The problem operated? is we're, we're, well, we're asking them to use it. We're asking them to use phones sometimes as part of learning. This yeah, was like, yeah. I think where we, you know, where things got really tricky. Cause it's like, oh, there's, you know, an app for this class or download this. And that's where it's getting too murky as well. Okay. And, and Courtney, Betty, there are arguments to be made that a cell phone is very much a part of day-to-day life now, but also they're just such a distraction that you kind of think, put them all in a basket, close the door, have an hour of uninterrupted instruction or learning. John, I'm actually in complete agreement with you. And my suggestion was, you know, a five-minute break at the end of that hour so that the young people can go and, you know, get into their cell phone because... There's so it's so much a part of their life right now. Um, the virtual life is their reality. So I have no issue with say locking it all up, put it in a basket. You have an hour between classes, uh, five minutes between classes. You grab your phone and then it's out of your mind. Start learning again. Okay, this is where I am uncustomarily going to be pro-teacher and anti-parent. First of all, I think, um, for your point, John, that sometimes the phone gets used in the class. Okay, then this is up to the teacher. It's either the cell phone is allowed in this class or it isn't, and that's the teacher's call, and that's it. Okay? This ridiculous, oh, well, I have to be able to get a hold of my kid. Get over yourself. There's a phone at the office in every school. If you've got a, a need to contact your kid, contact the office. They'll help you out. Ontario is looking at enhanced road tests for drivers over 80. Jerry, is that fair? Well, yeah, I guess so. I mean, uh, maybe we should be just randomly testing people, uh, no matter how old they are, as we go along. And then when you get over 80, I mean, I, I guess they have this thing where you go in and you do, I didn't know this until I read the article this morning. One of the things you have to do when you're over 80 is draw a clock. Yeah. Well, that seems like so rudimentary, but I mean, I guess if you can't draw a clock, then maybe you shouldn't be driving. Yeah, that's um, one of the key tests for dementia. Sure. But there should also be some sort of road test, I think. I mean, it gets to the point sometimes, here's the problem, I think, that 
older people have, they can't turn their head all the way. And so they're not really doing a proper shoulder check, that kind of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and hey, if you're 87 years old and you come in and you ace the test, God bless you. Yeah, Courtney, Betty, some people will argue it's discriminatory, but there's no denying that there is a certain diminished capacity as we age. Hey, John, one of one of the toughest decisions I've had to make was when my dad was 84 and I had to take the keys away from him and cancel his license. So I agree. And uh, he held it against me for quite a few years. <laughs> but uh, but that, that was really one of the toughest decisions I've had to make. So I kind of understand these challenges from a real practical standpoint. I raised you and I took you to hockey lessons and you took my license away. (laughs) That's what it was. (laughs) But there is this sort of thinking about driver's licenses, Vaz, that they're almost like a civil right. So, you know, we have a very low fail rate for people who are getting their license and we're very hesitant to take licenses away. I think, you know, we really have to consider the autonomous element, right? Seniors who are driving are probably still living, not alone, but independently. Uh, My grandmother's 96. She would draw the F out out of that clock and uses her car to get groceries nearby and go to her hairdresser, but also knows that she probably shouldn't get on highways anymore because it's uh, nerve wracking for her and she's not as skilled as she used to be. She's in Quebec. So I'm like, I don't, (laughs) this is not in Ontario. how we how we planned and how we've built our communities, I think, ends up hurting that autonomy for older people later on because we've built a lot of areas that are so dependent on using a car. The public transit options aren't great, and you know, I know you can call cabs, spend money on cabs, and uh, you know, what's the what are the alternatives? I think we could do a better job supporting seniors uh, in getting around and making it seem less like they're um, declining as a result. Uh, we sent you an image capture this morning, just in case you didn't get this in the mail yesterday. I did. I've got it in front of me, and it's from the Toronto Police Association, and effectively, it's a rundown of how they maintain we are ill-served. One thing it says, it takes over 22 minutes on average to respond to the highest priority emergency calls. So they say, tell Mayor Chow you want the city to invest in your safety. I mean, you know, Courtney Betty, people, unions are free to communicate with the public, but this is also part of an ongoing campaign to suggest that we're all somehow in danger and it's Olivia Chow's fault. Well, I don't know about Olivia Chow's fault, John, but the fact that it takes 22 minutes to respond to like the highest emergency, that to me is sort of frightening. So within the police budget, we've got to find a way to address that issue. And just while we're out here, John, I just want to send a special shout out to all the officers over at 41 Division. I had a legal issue that I need some help on with them last night, and they were just amazing. In all that they do, there's a lot of great police officers that are out there. Um, They're here to help us. So let's figure out a way to address this in a manner where it's not a battle in a public kind of a debate that we're having right now. Vaz Bednar, the police budget's already over a billion dollars. But, you know, one question nobody's ever been able to answer to my satisfaction is what is the ratio you actually require? What is the number of police officers we need to keep the peace? I'm glad you brought up ratio because that first bullet that sort of suggests there's a there's an optimal proportionality, right? Police to population, um, and that because that's out of balance, we are you know taking longer to respond. I'm a little more interested in why are emergency calls up 18 percent this year? 
you know, is that vo- is that volume related back to our population? You know, we have we are coming off larger conversations about when to call the police and how police are leaned on in the way that our emergency rooms are leaned on with our healthcare system in ways that they shouldn't, in ways that are inefficient, in ways that are really expensive. Um, but yeah you know, getting that bullet 60% of the time, there's no units immediately available to respond to an emergency, I think is going to concern people. But I don't know that it motivates them to say, yes, we need to fund uh, the police even more. I wonder if it just makes people feel like stuff in the city is so broken. Like 22 minutes, what are they taking the King King streetcar to show up <laughs> to, to help you out? Jerry. Well, it wouldn't get you there in 22 minutes. Um, <laughs> first of all, the King Street car, uh, that's a disaster. But this is actually uh, a smart move on the part of the union. Here we are talking about this. And, you know, you say something, John, like, well, the police budget is over a billion. OK, but that doesn't tell us whether it's high enough or not high enough. Right. Like maybe it needs to be two billion or maybe it could be 750 million. That's the conversation that has to be had. And I think that what the what the union has done here is put the ball in Olivia Chow court and she needs to come out and explain uh, what she's going to do about it or if she thinks their numbers are wrong then where her where are her numbers Calgary's mayor took a pass on the menorah lighting last night the first night of uh, Hanukkah and her reason was that uh, she felt that some people were spinning this as a solidarity with Israel rally rather than you know a celebration of Hanukkah Jerry is uh, did she do the right thing no uh, no, she didn't. I mean, uh, why would she be surprised that there might be an element of that this year? Jews in this country are afraid. I mean, I, I've got uh, personal friends of mine who've said things like, I no longer think I, I belong in this country. I'm afraid. I'm afraid to send my kids to school. It's a, it's a crisis here. And uh, that the mayor would uh, over overly politicize this thing is ridiculous. I mean, the only way that she's going to have any kind of credibility is if she refuses to show up then at the Santa Claus parade or anything else that she's invited to that uh, seems to attach to a group or a religion. Vas Bednar, your thoughts? I thought it was a really odd choice. You know, we're implicitly seem to be asking more and more of politicians at all orders of government, right, to participate, participate in every cultural event, have statements on every kind of global issue. And I think you either stay laser focused on the core job itself, or you universally participate in the cultural and religious celebrations of your communities as as an ambassador of all of them. I thought it was a very strange choice. Okay, listen, I want to hop to a few other topics. And uh, actually, this is not an entertainment topic. It's a business topic. Um, Courtney Betty, Taylor Swift fan looking at trying to get two nights in a hotel in Vancouver during Taylor Swift's six night endeavor there was quoted $3,716 for a day's in. What do you think? Well, John, I, you know, to be honest, I can't understand this whole phenomena because this has been this billion dollar. I mean, forget about the money that Taylor Swift, but everything else has just been inflated. And I guess it all comes down to the demand that's there for the rooms at the end of the day. Yeah. Vas Bednar, is that just the free market? I mean, I think it's this really interesting line, again, between an economy that's efficient, right, and exploiting the highest possible price it can, and just straight up exploiting people. So, you know, tossing around words like fair pricing, or is this price gouging? 
hotels are a space we're very comfortable with second degree like very elastic pricing but different items in marketplaces are also very elastic now and sometimes being tailored to you based on the time of day and your geography etc so policy wise i'd like us to pay attention to that macro trend otherwise you know i hope these taylor swift fans um found found an appropriate place to stay do i want to see a market intervention like hotel rates cannot surge more than you know 3x the core price i'm not sure that's going to going to solve us but we do have policy tools to address price gouging jerry you go this is uh, 13 times their normal rack yeah rate. i looked them up this morning yeah yeah i just I, I just went on as if i was going to book a room there for next weekend and it's 161 dollars and 11 cents uh to get a room so yes they have exploded the price but here's the thing the hotel is pretty much sold out for the time when she's going to be there apparently a year from now or something like that so uh clearly people are willing to pay it they will pay incredible prices for the tickets. There's no room for government in this, by the way. This, uh, getting a hotel room to attend a concert is entirely discretionary. So if you're going to spend the money, you're going to spend the money. And by the way, really quickly, cities don't have a problem saying, let's attach taxes to hotels and make the tourists pay them. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thanks to Courtney Betty, Jerry Agar, and Vaz Bednar. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.